Well, welcome. I am Pastor Ed, one of the pastors. I'm not Pastor Derek. Last week, Pastor Derek was here, in case you were not here or you've forgotten. He was here last week, and he dealt with a difficult passage there that often we misunderstand from Philippians 2, uh, 12 to 18. Work out your salvation. And he made it clear from the cultural context, I'm not from the cultural, but from the biblical context, it's not talking about your salvation, but it's about your maturity in Christ, your fullness in Christ, what he designed and intended you to. You are to work that out. And to illustrate it, he commented about how ripped he was, how muscular, and some of you snickered even back then, uh, uh, kind of confusing because it's incredible, uh, uh, his muscular physique, but, but, but Derek, you know, as ripped as you were, you know, and he was trying to make the point that you have to work out, you got to um, uh, have a regiment in order to, to work out physically. Um, I want to show you what ripped was. I went back to my archives to found, find a picture. Let's show a picture. Um, yeah, that's ripped. That, that's ripped, Derek. But actually, you know, being a pastor, being in church, actually, I couldn't find the picture I wanted, so I had to go by memory what I thought I looked like or what I remember looking like. And so um, that's the best. Let's get that picture off the screen now. Move on. So much of our lives, though, is geared towards trying to impress one another to outdo someone else, to be better at. So much of our sense of self-worth or value is based upon how am I doing in relation or in comparison to others. This is the gospel of good news, is that you no longer have to do that. You no longer have to make an assessment about yourself, an evaluation of yourself in relation to anyone else. The gospel of Jesus Christ says he is gifting you your value, independent of this one anotherness. This is freedom, which is great news. We don't have to impress. We are granted freedom. You are free from the tyranny of trying to gain, acquire value for yourself based upon others. That's bondage. We no longer have to impress, but instead we can live out of the freedom we have in Christ, and instead of impress, we can inspire others and those around us. We can inspire because we are free of that tyranny. Now, some of you may go with the idea, what do you mean? Uh, Okay, we're not to impress but to inspire. Isn't that a little self-centered? Isn't that egocentrical to want to live your life in such a way that you inspire those around you? And I would say, no, it's just the opposite. See, impress means you are living to call attention to yourself. How am I doing? When you want to inspire somebody, you're calling attention to something greater than yourself. You're calling attention to an idea, a belief, a value that is greater than you. 
Scripture, we looked at Philippians 2.15 last week. We're told we are to shine as lights in the world. We should be an inspiration to the world. Because we believe in the gospel, which is freedom from the need to try and impress the tyranny and the bondage. This weekend is Memorial Weekend. Originally, it was called Decoration Day. Originally established after the Civil War, the bloodiest war in American history. It was established to honor those who died in battle. After World War I, this day was expanded to cover all men and women in uniform who gave up their life defending our country and our values. It is said that a hero is someone who has given his or her life for something bigger than oneself. When a person gives their life, sacrifices for a cause, a belief, or an idea that is noble and is good, these stories inspire us. The one that I remember from my childhood days growing up is Nathan Hale. During the American Revolution, American soldier who took on a most dangerous assignment to gather some information behind enemy lines, and he was caught and tried as a spy and convicted, sentenced for execution. And there, as he's waiting for his execution, this is when it's reported that he said he had only one regret, that he had only one life to give for his country. Folks like Nathan Hill inspire me not that he died, not that he died, but what he was willing to die for. It was for freedom. He died for an idea, a cause, or a belief that is greater than himself. Now, here's the good news, folks. You do not have to die to inspire others. In fact, Often, it's just the opposite. Many times, you are a greater inspiration, not for what you die for, but what you live for. The Apostle Paul is a great example to this. He tells us there in First Philippians 1, 23 and 24, I'm torn between the two. My preference, I desire to de- depart and be with Christ which is better by far, but is necessary for you that I remain in the body. The implications of the cross of Jesus Christ when applied practically and lived out through our lives grants us a freedom that is an inspiration to the world. It's a light that shines in darkness if we live out the freedom that God has intended. Know that God desires us not to impress people, but to inspire them. 
to point to something far greater than us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you may ask, well, how do I go about this? How, you know, I'm just a, a meager person. I, I don't think uh, there's anything in my life that would be of inspiration. Well, this morning, let's just take a little case study. Two men, two men that went about their life but the way they went about their life was such an inspiration that the Apostle Paul drew attention to some characteristics that certainly encouraged him. So let's look at these five characteristics that he's identified and invite our, ourselves to consider taking them and making them of a larger measure a part of our lives that God would use it to inspire those around us. So jump with me, Philippians 2.20. Actually, let's start with verse 19. Philippians 2.19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. See, Timothy stands out. I have no one like him. Notice what's not being said. You know, Paul is not saying Timothy is the best. He's not saying Timothy is the only one. Timothy is the best Timothy. He's unique, and I have no one else like him. He is uniquely situated to do some things that are an inspiration, that are an encouragement to me. Verse 20, we'll see the first characteristic that he sees a part of his life. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. This is the first characteristic that is inspirational. People who are genuinely concerned for others. First thing we got to realize, genuineness means real, means true. If there's genuineness, real and true, then there's the opposite, disgenuous. Fake, pretense, the appearance of. Genuineness inspires. Disingenuous dampens. Genuineness lights fires. Disingenuous throws a damp blanket over a fire. Now, it's not just being genuine that inspires, but it's being genuine about the right things. People, people can be genuinely evil. And it's genuine, but that tears down. Inspiration builds up. For it's about those things that are right and noble, that are godly. Inspiration builds up, not tears down. In Timothy's case, he is generally concerned for others' welfare. That's what we call compassion. 
Now, we can assume from this passage then that people can be disingenuous in terms of having the appearance as though they care for others. It can be a facade, just the appearance. Look there at verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 21. Timothy, first, is genuinely concerned for your welfare, verse 21, for they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. So you have some folks like Timothy that are genuinely concerned for others, but then there are other people. They may appear as though they have a genuine concern for others, but they're really self-seeking. These are probably the folks that Paul is expressing or describing there back in verse 17. Chapter 1, verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Goes on in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, the appearance of, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The scary thing is that even noble things, even religious things, even spiritual things, even Christian things can be done disgenuously. This is a call here, the challenge here. If we're going to live lives to inspire, we need to move away from that tendency to want to impress a disingenuousness to being genuinely concerning for others. Now, granted, there's a little bit of this in all of us. We are a mix of this genuineness and pretense. The invitation is to invite the Lord to grow and to mature to where increasingly you operate out of that genuineness for people's welfare. I think this leads really to the second characteristic that inspires because due to our stubbornness or desire for self-sufficiency, we probably would not choose to move towards a genuine concern for other people's welfare. But we see the other characteristic in Timothy in verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. The characteristic we see there is proven worth. There is a consistency about Timothy's life. This is not just a short-term thing. This has been over a years and years. That word proven is the word often used with the, the smelting of metal. And it's how they burn out the impurities within the metal. And they change the properties of that metal so they can separate out the impurities and keep that which is pure. That comes only through the process of time and trials. And Timothy went through time and trials, showing himself what was disgenuine, and what was genuine. 
Timothy was there in Acts 16. When Paul and Silas were put in jail, he witnessed that. The enslavement in prison, the persecution over the years. But Timothy still followed and was a servant to Paul's request. He was consistent. He was faithful, loyalty to a cause that was proven over years. Paul knew Timothy would be there. Paul knew, and that was an inspiration to to him. I need to get a little drink of water here. I'm fighting dry lips. Consistency. And knowing that he would be here. This week, Shelley invites me to a camp uh, meeting, Agape Camp, which is a, a camp for children whose parents are incarcerated, that are in prison. They're living without the parents. And some of the counselors, just over four days, but some of the counselors, what stood out to me, what was the most pressing thing that spoke volumes was when the counselor says, no matter what, I'm not leaving you. I will be there. That consistency, that message, not just verbally, but physically demonstrated over four days, despite whatever was being done to discourage the consistency of those counselors to be there. Often, not always, but sometimes, changed some of the dynamic within the child and allowed him to open up to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who are consistent provide a security that inspires. The second person we see uh, inspires Paul that Paul uh, acknowledges uh, that stands out is Epaphroditus. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Notice those three terms there that Paul gives to define the qualities of Epaphroditus that stand out. My brother, like family. My fellow worker, uh, a fellowship, we're in this together, we're working together for a common cause, and a fellow soldier, we're in a battle. Fellow soldier, we got to agree on the mission. Notice all three of these, a brother, whether it's family, a fellowship, or a military unit, the communal nature of these entities. 
See, cooperation can only rise to the surface and inspire if you are in a significant community where you can demonstrate it. It's within the community that the type of cooperation that inspires is when you realize how selfish you are and you begin to surrender that selfishness because of a greater ideal, the family, the military unit, fellow soldier, or fellow worker. You have clarity of the essentials that you hold on to, that you're unrelenting. But there's a lot of personal preferences that you surrender for the sake of cooperation and for the sake of the big picture, God's mission, what God is about. This inspired Paul. This was such an encouragement to him. Uh, The fourth thing that we see here from Epaphroditus in verse 26 and 28 is how committed. Commitment inspires folks. Verse 26, this guy Epaphroditus. For he has been longing for you all. Epaphroditus, he's in Rome with Paul, who's in prison. And Paul is saying, Epaphroditus has been longing for you all. He has been in distress because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. And then jump down to 28. I am more eager to send him. This was about 800 miles from the prison in Rome to this church at Philippi. And here Paul is calculating, I am going to send Epaphroditus. Now, increasingly in our day and age, we don't think think near as much about it because we just purchase a plane ticket and within 24 hours, boom, we're somewhere. Okay, we need to set ourselves back. We need to move the calendars back and try to put us in Ephroditus' shoes who just came through a serious illness that caused near death. And now Paul is calculating, hey, I may send Epaphroditus back to Philippi, 800 miles. Dangerous trip for multiple reasons. The people that he may encounter, let alone diseases. The wear and tear on the body. Largely walking. But Epaphroditus is committed to do what is necessary. To obey and to respond. And be that messenger. And to deliver it back to the church. He's committed. The last thing is the courage. Courage inspires. We see the courage of Epaphroditus, you know, kind of detailed it already by his travel and willingness to travel. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete 
what was lacking in your service to me. Nearly died for the work of Christ. And yet it says he was risking his life. See, faith, we need to think in our little spheres, how we live out our life. Faith demands risk. We need to warm up to the idea that we have to increasingly uh, accept risk as part of life. Risk demands courage. Not foolish risk. Calculated risk based upon the character of God. Risk that increasingly lent go of my needing to control. And accepting God is in control. That's risky. But when you do that work of letting go of control and trusting God, take that risk, it's inspiring to those around you. Not foolish. We're not talking about foolish. Wise risk is inspiring because it points that your security rests in God the Father, not in yourself. Someone has said, your life is your message to the world. Your life is your message to the world. Make sure it is inspiring. Not to draw attention to yourself. That would be to impress. Don't go there, but to inspire. Pointing attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the implications, what that means in how you live your life and the freedom it brings to you. This morning, we are providing time for communion. Scripture teaches or tells us to do this in remembrance of me. To remember the Lord's death till he comes. Let's go ahead and uh, bring up that last, uh, that sets the stage for a communion. Um, Jesus Christ's death sets us free. free from a lot of stuff that we carry, that we're insistent on carrying. Timothy and Aphrodite inspire us that they found a different way to live life. They found a different way to live life that this great person that we raise up as a, a, a model, the Apostle Paul, was inspired by. So that we can look at Timothy and Epaphroditus and say, you know, God, I would like to take on more genuine concern for other people's welfare, compassion. God, I want to be more consistent for you and your causes and for the body of Christ, the church family. God, I know my personality sometimes gets in the way and I have my personal preferences and it's hard for me to sometimes surrender. I want to be more cooperative. 
God, I need to uh, move incrementally towards a greater commitment. Greater commitment to you, your cause, but the body of Christ, the community that I'm a part in. And God, give me more courage. See, Epaphroditus and Timothy modeled it, but I put this up here because Jesus Christ. Think about the model of Jesus Christ in these five areas. We're going to have communion, and I ask him to just leave this on the screen so that as we have a moment of quietness and preparation for you to come forward, uh, just if you need something to direct your thoughts, just allow God to use, you know, how did Jesus Christ express compassion, consistency, cooperation, commitment, and courage? May my seeing it in Jesus Christ so inspire me to greater measure to move in that direction more fully than what I am already. Jesus Christ died for you that we can be free. That we can be free and out of that freeness live a fullness that really is a light to this world. We here at Faith Free Church, when we practice communion, um, we invite all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you're not a member, even if you're visiting, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because we seize this time to allow God to stir our heart, to prompt us, to slow us down long enough to do some of this spiritual work. We're going to do it this morning, individually, as a family, as a unit, to come up, to take the grape juice, the bread, to find a spot for you to, uh, if you're with a family and you want to pray together as a family, to do that. And again, as you know from what we've been trying to accomplish here in the past, rather than make this such a, a, a fast routine thing to give you space so that you can reflect and allow God's spirit to stir your heart when we come to communion. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, Chris and Kirsten and Micah, I assume, are going to come on. You can come on up now. They'll play in the backdrop, and as they're coming, let's bow in prayer. And then sometime over the two songs, feel free to come up, and uh, we have two tables. Do we have tables in the back? I can't see from here. Yes, we do have two tables in the back, so you're well served this morning. Father. Thank you for the great freedom that you have granted because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel is far greater news than we realize. It frees us from a lot of stuff. It frees us from ourselves. God, you paid it all that we could have this incredible gift of being accepted based upon your son's sacrifice. And so we come this morning to honor that sacrifice, to remember it, to allow it once again to wash over us and to consider the implications. So Lord, we 
invite you to do that work in our minds over these next few minutes. In Christ's name, amen.